G'day wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on Truth To You. That's truth number two, letter U.org. I'm John and joining me all the way from Louisiana is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, number one seller on Amazon, number one bestseller, bestselling author, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. <laughs> hey, Jono. How are you, man? I'm good. How does it It has feel? been a crazy week. It's been an it exciting has. week. It's been eventful. It's fun. Man, I love this. Man, I love this. Hmm. Huh. Well, I, I would imagine that you would. I mean, it's not every day that someone publishes a book and it's a, an Amazon number one bestseller. Well, you know, and technically, um, it's it's number one in its category in new releases. So there are yeah. other books that have been out longer that Don't are quote unquote bestsellers. It. It's a number one well, bestseller. Okay. That's it, all we need to it know. Is. And it's it doing is. really it well. It truly is. That's right. Uh, That's and, right. and it should do well. And um, as we mentioned last time that we spoke, it has now been um, accompanied by another book by Idan Dershowitz. That's the Valediction of Moses. Came out two weeks after you released yours, and uh, and I've read that now. I've I've read that over the last week, and it's I have exceptional. Well. Mm-hmm. It's really really good. And I tell you what, it goes really well with your book. Is there a link on on your uh, blog on your blog posts anywhere? There is. Yes, I've linked okay. it on my author's blog, which we'll put that in there because I've already put up, I think, since the last time you and I spoke. I, I think I've done three or four since we last spoke last week. Articles, so, yeah. Uh, yep. uh-huh, so that's, yep. by the way, mm-hmm. dear listeners, that's uh, themosascroll.com, themosascroll.com. And there is a blog link there that you can go there. And Ross is keeping us up to date with uh, what's going on. What is going on? What's happened in the last week? Well, let me catch you up. And and forgive me, Jonah, because it's it's been a week. It's been a busy week. And so some of this, I don't even know if we talked about it last week. But here's <laughs> what I remember. Things are running together now. Uh, when Edan's work came out, uh, he his was sort of trumpeted in, and it should have been. It's an incredible piece, very academic. Well, the world was alerted to this, and it appeared, I think we mentioned, in the New York Times and the Daily Mail, and then it was from there, people all over the world started talking about Moses Shapira. Now, first of all, you and I have discussed this. We mentioned it last week. What are the chances that that wonderful set of circumstances would transpire Mm. two weeks after. So one of the people who picked this up um, was Christopher Rolston, the epigrapher. And and he obviously is against it. He, he typically, he's a brilliant scholar Mm. uh, taking nothing away from, and this is his job. His job is to determine true and false when it comes to, uh, inscriptions, engravings, documents, anything that is written from the ancient world. Uh, and so he came out on his blog post with a post. By the way, his his website is rolstonepigraphy.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, ancient inscriptions from uh, the Levant, I think is what it's subtitled. Anyway, his article is Deja Vu All Over Again, The Antiquities Market, Shapira Strips, Menachem Mansur and Idan Dershowitz, and he spends a considerable amount of space on his website in this article debunking, if you will, the validity, the genuineness, the authenticity of Shapira. And basically, Mm -hmm. for our listeners, 
he he says what everybody said since 1883. It's it's not real. Well, now can I interrupt just for a second? I did read it. I read through, uh, and I'm glad that he he wrote it, and I'm hoping he'll elaborate because I did read through uh, his blog post, and it did seem to echo that which has already been uh, been said. I was hoping for something a little bit more meaty. Was was there anything that you picked up on? Yeah, I I would have liked it, Um, and it may be coming. Um, but, yeah, but did you find anything in this article that that was in any way compelling? No, in fact, um, and and what I will say, he does say, look, I'm kind of in a hurry. The new New York Times released this story. Uh, here are some references to other things that I've written. He promises that he's got a forthcoming volume entitled tentatively, uh, tentatively. Pious Forgeries, Forging History in the Ancient World of the Bible and the Modern World of Biblical Studies. Hmm. Now, again, Jono, he's the guy you go to. If you think something is fake, you say, what do you think, Professor Ralston? Hmm. Hmm. His article, though, in for the most part, uh, was very high level. He didn't get into, you know, Don's book really gets into the the mm. the, the details of the grammar That's, and the orthography yeah. and and uh, so anyway, he he basically rehashes many of the old arguments and the main theory, Jono, is that Shapira, even if it's even if he's not directly called the forger, he he generally is, but. But whoever forged this document, in the eyes of those who accept it to be a forgery, they say that the forger cut the bottom of a Torah scroll off, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you and I know you've seen plenty of Torah scrolls, I have as well. Mm-hmm. I have one here in my office, and and you know there is a space between the bottom row of letters and the bottom of the scroll. Generally, it just varies, a, por- a parchment versus a leather scroll. But but the idea put forward in 1883, August the 22nd, 1883, Monsieur, Monsieur Clermont Ganneau yeah, comes to, to London. From a distance, he's been watching the media go on and on and on about mm. Shapiro's scroll. He believes, he confesses this. It's in my book. Everything's in the book, Jono. Mm. It's in the book. He says that before he left France, he suspected it was a forgery. So he's already convinced it's a forgery before he ever sees it. He goes there and he finds at the British Library in the I'm sorry, in the British Museum, uh, Christian David Ginsburg and Moses Shapira are looking at the scroll, working mm-hmm. on Ginsburg's transcription. He goes into the room. This is good for our listeners to get this because it's the same old story. You talk about deja vu. This is the deja vu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes in there and he says, hey. Uh, and they neither one of them like him. Uh, and the reason they don't like him is because he's already uh, alleged that Shapira was involved in a previous forgery. Mm-hmm. And Christian Ginsburg wrote in 1871, 12 years before this incident at the British Museum, uh, Ginsburg wrote that it was Claremont Gano's fault that the Mesha stone, the Moabite stone, was busted up. Mm-hmm. It, because because he was uh, uh, just 
overzealous to acquire it for his country. Anyway, all of that story's in the book. Now, well, he, 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 but, if I can interrupt, he, he increases yep. the demand uh, to the point of frenzy by which uh, the possessors of the, of the stone think maybe we can make a lot, of, uh, a lot out of this if we bust it up and we have a piece yeah. each. <laughs> There's that, or maybe yeah, we it, just keep a bit, a bit for ourselves. You know, it's kind of this is what happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls too, isn't it? That that certain scrolls were torn up and sold by uh, piece by piece because they saw that there was a dollar in it. Yeah, that any time, any time that something like this surfaces, when you when you have people competing, and one of the things that we notice when this uh, uh, when these uh, particular treasures were found in the in the 19th century is you have all these different competing nations, the French, the English, the Germans, the, you know, and they're all trying to get a piece of the pie for their mm. country. And uh, so anyway, the long story is that Claremont Gano wants to see the scroll. He goes to these guys who don't really like him, and they have the power to tell him no. So they ultimately do. They say, no, you can't see it. So he is, he has to um, relegate he basically has to say, well, I'll go stand in the museum where they have two pieces on display. With now everyone that crowded around. And he, he, yeah. And, and he, he doesn't, first of all, he's a big scholar. He he's sort of feels like he's, he's a brilliant scholar, isn't messed. he? He is. But mm -hmm. here he is standing in line at the British Museum looking at a poorly lit display case with people in front of him that can't even read, you know, <laughs> this is probably what he's like. These people can't even read a olive from a top. So, so he feels indignant uh, is what you're saying. He, he is incredibly angry over this and he yeah. says so. So one of the things that he does is he looks at the scroll through the glass and he says, you know what? I've, I know what happened here. Now this is his theory in a nutshell. He says that, the forger cut the the portion of the scroll off the bottom where there's no writing and produced the fake scroll from that. And two two things. One of the things that he brings up is not only is it cut off, he has clear evidence in his mind because one edge of this scroll looks to be a clean cut, you know, not frizzied mm, up. It's a cleaner cut and than the, the bottom. Other, yep, this is what mm. he says. So he puts his theory out, long story, uh, just about everybody since August the 22nd of 1883 has maintained that. The last person who did it was an author by the name of Hanan Tigay, okay, yeah. uh, the son of uh, Jeffrey Tigay, the great, br brilliant mm. Deuteronomy uh, scholar. Uh, but anyway, he so what he does is... Uh, this is his theory. Hanan Tegay says, yep, that's exactly what happened. Today, even Rolston and some of these other scholars are just picking up the same thing. But this has been addressed. Now, there are several scholars who said that's not true. If you look at Dead Sea Scrolls, you're going to see some of what they describe in 1880. For instance, there is a, a, a researcher in Israel by the name of Shlomo Gill, and uh, he published an article that was published in the Palestine Exploration Quarterly that uh, puts forward really good evidence. He's one of the first to come up with some really academic uh, research mm -hmm. that says that this is, this is just like the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
Mm-hmm. Now we know that there are plenty of examples that look just like what they describe and what we see in the pictures of the Shapira scroll. Same, same setup. In fact, uh, the Shapira scroll had an arch to it, you know, sort of a mm-hmm. bowed. And, and so many of the scrolls also have that, including the great Isaiah scroll has the same thing. Sure. So what we see today in those who are claiming forgery is that they're not coming up with anything new. My book brings forward as much evidence as I could put forward for uh, in an accessible format. And then Edan Dershowitz's book takes it to a whole new level. But, well, but let me read this quote. What, go ahead. One, one quote. Moses Shapira said this in August of 1883. The sin of believing in a false document is not much greater than disbelieving the truth. The tendency of showing great scholarship by detecting a forgery is rather great in our age. Mm-hmm. And Jono, that is still the case, my friend. It is still the case. And, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I was just about to say, and I don't know if you, I, I can't remember if you include this in your book, but this is something that I picked up in Nidan's book, is that Gano had declared a forgery, a particular Egyptian artifact that is now known to be uh, most genuine and is in the Louvre Museum in, in Paris. Do you recall? Do you I, remember that? I do remember reading that in Edan's work. I did, I did not put that in my book, but it is an excellent point. In other words, if Claremont Ganot were right every time, in other words, if everything that he declared a forgery was surely a forgery, then that would certainly stack the deck against uh, Moses Shapira's manuscript. But he wasn't. And Edan brings up that case and a couple of others, if I recall. Mm. So, but again, this is, in fact, one of the articles that I'm, I'm working on now for my blog. Uh, tentatively, I'm calling it Echoes of Gano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I want to do is suggest that the arguments against the authenticity of this manuscript uh, that were voiced in the 1800s are being voiced today, but what I notice is that people don't really know the material, which I hope that uh, they'll at least read uh, my book or Edan's book, depending on, you know, if they're academic or, but but I I hope they get the facts straight, because some of the things that we see that are being spouted today simply are not true. They're inaccurately reporting on things that were said in the 1800s, and it's it's really sad because now they have two really good books, mine and Edan's, that together they could put it all together and and put forward a very good argument, solid, pro or solid against. Case, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and as, as I mentioned before, both books need to be read. They go side by side, and uh, I'm I, I really do feel like I have a very uh, well-informed and rounded uh, understanding of the Shapira saga and the contents of the scroll itself uh, from reading both yours and Edan's books. Um, yeah, You mentioned your blog. Let's just jump ship for a second because the last article that I read on your blog had to do with the idea because you mentioned that um, you know things were mentioned back in 1883. Oh, before, I, before we start with that, uh, before okay. I go there, 
Um, let's just jump back to, to Gano just for one second. He did get the opportunity to look at the scroll later on. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? He did. Um, it, first of all, let me just say that by the end of August, uh, the scroll, Shapira's manuscript, let's call it, was pulled from the display. It was, uh, it was already declared a forgery, and um, Mr. Shapira went to the Netherlands. Now, Gano, Claremont Gano, Monsieur Claremont Gano, gets another chance after it's all over. He goes mm-hmm. back to London from France, and he requests of the keepers at the British Museum he asked permission to view the scroll. And without going into the details, I have the account in the book. Uh, he does ask permission and they write, uh, the keepers of the library, write uh, Shapira, who is in the Netherlands. And they said, mm-hmm. Mr. Claremont Gano wants to look at the scroll. Do, will you give him permission? Because August the 15th of 83, he had denied Claremont Gano uh, the uh, permission to, to look at the scroll, mm-hmm. to examine it. He grants it. So Claremont Gano, who had written up this piece that said, look, they won't let me look at it, but any scholar who gets a chance to look at it, here are four things that I want you to look for that will clearly indicate forgery. And here they are, and he lists them out. They're in the book. I'm not going to go through the details. Yeah, now, now but, let me just let me clarify before you continue. Yep. Uh, that's upon his first very, very brief encounter with one uh, a column of, of the scroll. Uh, he declares it a forgery, and he says, and let me tell you, this is the way that it would have been done. And he lists those. Yep. Okay, he lists those. Now he has the opportunity to view it again. Um, the British Museum approach Shapira, and they say, "Is will you give him this time the permission to look at it?" Now the damage has already been done, ceded by Gano. Right. The damage has already been done. Uh, Shapira wouldn't let him uh, view it up to the point where now it's like, well, who knows? May, and I can't think of what what Shapira, what else he would have been thinking, but to think that. Who knows? Gano may look at it now in detail and declare it to be to be uh, an authentic document. Um, why I else think would you're he right. allow? Why? Because he's grasping his straws there. He's he's like, you're the one that that shot this down. Maybe now yep. you'll you'll come to your senses and you'll declare it an authentic document. So he's allowed That's Gano correct. to go in and uh, considering these these four points that Gano told everyone in the press that this is. This is how you would you would uh, declare it to be false. What did he come up with? How many of those did he tick? Well, y- you know, he didn't tick any of them, Jono. It, and here's what's so interesting, and, and this is the way I describe it uh, in my writing. Here he was. He says this is easy to determine that this is a forgery. Uh, all you have to do is get a close look at it. Well, when he gets that opportunity, now remember mm-hmm. – he had said that on August the 22nd. This is January, so we're only talking a few months later. He, If I were him and I had written, go do these four things in January, I would have done those four things. Instead, he doesn't back down. He still says it's a forgery. Uh, but what he does say in, in his write-up is, number one, this is a real important thing because the people in 1883 up to the modern day have claimed that it was cut from the bottom. His proof, air quotes, of why that was the case was he said one edge was cleaner than the other. But 
upon a careful examination of the uh, the strips, he says that, you know, I'm looking at this now and it looks about the same on the other edge, too. Mm. Now, either he now believes that the forger has cut, not only cut the top and the bottom in a perfect arch, you know, because he doesn't even bring up the arch. We just know Mm. that from the photos and then from later discoveries of Mm -hmm. the Qumran manuscripts. Uh, So he he backpedals. Originally, he believed that this was cut from the bottom of one scroll. You know, like Shapiro would have found a scroll. He dealt in scrolls. So he just got an old scroll, cut the bottom off to find a suitable piece to make his fake scroll from. Mm -hmm. But then when he looks at it again in January of 84, 1884, he says, uh, you know, it wasn't the the leather here is not consistent. It's not from one singular scroll. So now the theory's changed. Now he says, you know, he cut this from scraps. You know, here a little, there a little. It it, it just everything about it. In in the 1958, a scholar by the name of Menachem Mansur wrote uh, a paper about the Shapira manuscripts. Uh, And one of the things that uh, when he's talking about this, he says that neither the internal nor the external evidences put forward in the 19th century uh, is justification to declare that the manuscript was a forgery. Hmm. And so he called in a very lengthy paper, it's available free online, uh, and most of the content is written in the Moses scroll, uh, but he calls for a re-examination. He said, you know, it just never was fair the way that they came up with this forgery uh, declaration. Hmm. And so what I'm, as a person who's invested uh, more than a year and a half into this, details after details, what I find appalling, I guess is not too strong a word, is that people who weigh in to make comments on this have not done the work. You know, they're not they're not even knowledgeable about what uh, transpired in the 19th century, let alone they and certainly they haven't kept up. And and I, I want to say this as nicely as I can. But if you're going to weigh in, know your stuff. I mean, mm. read up on it. Mm. Read the Moses scroll. Why not? Now, in in the context of the conversation, should we touch on Hanan Tigay's uh, smoking gun, as he calls it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We right, certainly so can. There is a uh, uh, he. He happens upon a scroll of uh, uh, numbers, I think, um, the Book of Numbers, quite old, and uh, it's a scroll that is believed to have been in the possession of Moses Shapira, and it does have the bottom cut from cut cut from the scroll, uh, and he said, "Well, here it is. This is where he got the material from." Your thoughts? Well, a couple of thoughts come to mind. It's it's a fascinating theory. A person who, when I first got into this, of course, you know, I just want to know the truth. Is it, was it fake? Was it real? Uh, and so as I began to study it, I thought, you know, this theory that Claremont Gano has is uh, pretty compelling. You know, I mean, you could, if you could find a scroll and cut the bottom off of it, that would certainly provide you with the raw material to make a fake scroll. Uh, so what when 
and I'm giving a little bit more than what you asked for, but when Claremont Gano <laughs> comes out on the, on the, uh, actually the 21st, I think he turns his in August 21st, 1883. Um, the very next day, Ginsburg says basically the same thing. He adds a few details here and there, but he basically says the same thing. The bottom is cut off. And, what what Ginsburg does is Ginsburg says this particular uh, fraud, this this forged manuscript, is uh, not only is it cut from the bottom of a scroll, it's similar in the leather is very similar to several of the scrolls that Shapira sold to the British Museum. Mm-hmm. So if you if you read that, you think, well, you know, that's a that's a pretty solid. How do you get around that? Mm. And uh, so when I read um, Hanan Tagay's book, I was fascinated with the story and I wanted to know more about the cutting of the strip, because here's what I know. If you take in consideration the amount of the scroll and you do the calculation, the measurements based on what we get from Hermann Goethe, the German who did uh, fragments of a leather mm-hmm. manuscript, he and, and uh, Edward Meyer, Meyer studied it for one week. Uh, we get a general idea that the scroll, the scroll, it's actually two manuscripts, two copies of the same ancient manuscript. Now, each of these would have been, you know, considerable. So we're talking mm. 20-some feet of scroll material by roughly three and a half, four inches in height by more than 20 feet long. So that's not like a little piece cut out of a scroll. So because Hanan Tigay says that, that he found, he thinks he found the scroll. Mm-hmm. Jono, I'm going to find that in my book one second. Okay, here we go. This is from Hanan Tigay's book, The Lost Book of Moses, on page 319. Tigay describes his inspection of a manuscript that Shapira sold to the British Museum designated Oriental 1457. Tigay reports, I removed the scroll from the box and unrolled it, then leaned over to look at the slip with a magnifying glass. This is Tigay. There they were, three vertical lines etched into the shiny leather in exactly the pattern one sees in Torah scrolls. If I had any doubts before, they were now gone. I had not only found a Shapira scroll from which the lower margin had been removed, but a piece of leather he had removed from a Torah scroll and written on. There could be no more doubt. Shapira was our forger. So when I read that part in the book, Jono, I was like, oh, man. Yeah, it seems like an open oh, man. case, right? Yeah. It's it's done. So I I wrote uh, Mr. Tagay and I said, Look, I'm interested. When you saw this scroll with the bottom portion removed, how much of it was removed? Uh, what I'm asking is, did you see a piece cut out of it, or did you see a major piece cut? In other words, is it enough to have represented the amount of the scroll that that we mm-hmm. know existed in Shapira's time. You you get my point. Yeah. I mean, if it's if it's twelve inches, that's one thing. If it's thirty feet, you're like, oh man. Mm. Well, that question was never really answered. 
Um, and so I still await that particular answer. Now, um, there, there's another thing that comes in, and I put this in my book. It, it is this, that a specialist, after Claremont Gano came out and gave his theory, before Ginsburg published his, Claremont Gano says it's cut from the bottom, uh, a specialist was dispatched one, by one of the newspapers. They got an expert. They said, we want you to go look at the fragment and tell us what you think. The display was still there at the British Museum in the King's Library. So he goes back, he looks at it, and he reports. And one of the things that he says is, this leather upon which the Shapira manuscript is written uh, is of a thicker character Mm. than what we see in synagogue rolls. So he recognized that this was not, in his estimation, this expert says, Uh, it's not cut from a Torah scroll. I immediately began to think, well, you know, if this scroll was truly ancient, which I now fully believe it is, um, it's this question comes up. And Mm -hmm. and the idea that I have in my mind is a scroll prepared in 3500 BCE, which I'm not suggesting this one is the most like the one that Moses actually wrote in Mm. the desert. Uh, But even in the seventh century BC, in the time of Josiah, which is where I would probably at least place it in that time frame, Mm. um, I bet you that their their leather was of a different consistency in their scrolls than that which we see today. In, oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I, that's, that's not difficult yeah. to, uh, to, to comprehend. Um, that's a pretty thing, safe assumption. I, I yeah. think that's a safe assumption. Um, the, uh, another point that um, Idan Dershowitz uh, uh, makes in regards to the scroll that had the bottom cut from it is that the scroll itself has clear water damage. You can see drip marks down through the scroll. Yep. And um, being that the scroll would have, as scrolls are kept upright, um, it, it makes perfect sense that the the bottom would have had substantial water damage and rot, uh, and therefore had the bottom removed. Uh, yeah. I can again that that's that's a no brainer. It, it it doesn't seem unreasonable, uh, and therefore other possibilities need to be be explored. That is that we've said too much about that. Um, we'll let the listeners uh, read up because there's a lot more detail in in, in that regard. Getting back to your blog, if I may, uh, uh-huh. your your and let's wrap up this. Your your latest uh, article on your blog uh, has to do with another misconception that was made back in the eighteen eighties that has lasted all mm-hmm. the way to this uh, uh, very day, and that is that the Shapira scroll uh, has eleven commandments, not ten. Right, right. Go ahead. Yeah, that that's one of the things that happens. And and what I put forward in my blog post, in fact, the blog post is called, Did Shapira's Manuscript Contain 10 or 11 Commandments? And so I give a little bit of a biblical background first, because everybody's heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Even people mm. who are secular know about the Ten Commandments. Uh, but the first thing I do in a couple of brief paragraphs is give the biblical background. You know, we have... Uh, two accounts in the Bible, in our Torah, one in Exodus 20 and one in Deuteronomy 5, that claim to be the very words that God spoke from Mount Horeb, 
mm. on the day of assembly from the midst of the fire. And uh, if you put those two together, if you put them side by side, where you have Exodus 20 on one side and Deuteronomy 5's version on the other side, and you compare them uh, word by word, what you'll see is that there are considerable differences between the two. Um, And a lot of people may not want to hear this, but uh, it's an exercise that works in Hebrew or in English. So let me talk just a brief bit about the Hebrew. If you look at the, quote, 10 commandments in the Hebrew of Exodus, you count the words, you're going to come up with 172 Hebrew words, all of which claim to be, according to Exodus 20, the words of God to the children of Israel. If you then do the same exercise in the Hebrew of Deuteronomy 5's version, you'll come up with 189 Hebrew words in the Deuteronomy version. Again, it too claims to be the very words that God spoke from Horeb on the day of assembly from the midst of the fire to an assembled nation. Mm-hmm. Now, the question becomes, for me, which one is right? In other words, they can't because there are disagreements. Now, um, most people seek to, uh, how do we say, become an apologist and, and make these complexities of the text go away and just say, well, you know, maybe he spoke both of them simultaneously. Um, but that didn't that satisfy is, my curiosity. No, that's right. I mean, that is yep. the orthodox uh, uh, take on that, and they're absolutely entitled uh, to that view. That's right. And that's uh, right. But, but for some people, as I've said before, it's not a satisfying explanation. It doesn't satisfy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really does come down to, um, you know, putting magical circumstances aside uh, which one is correct? Because it must be noted that they are, they do have significant differences um, when you put them side by side. And you've done an excellent study uh, on this. Uh, by the way, have you uploaded to the Moses Scroll blog your comparison of the two? I, I put a link to it in my blog excellent. post. Okay, there uh, it is. But but just to just to maybe touch on one more point on this particular idea about ten or eleven. Um, one of the things that I figured uh, that that I figured out is that this uh, confusion, whether or not Shapira's manuscript had ten or eleven commandments, can be traced back to the very first media um, article on the manuscript, and it's it's August the third, eighteen eighty three edition of the Jewish Chronicle, mm-hmm. and here's what the the article says. It needs scarcely be stated that if this turns out to be correct, in other words, if this manuscript is true, these pieces of leather will possess a high value, not only in money, but also in a literary sense, for they contain some curious variations in the reading, among which we have an extra commandment, which is, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. Now, this statement has been picked up even in the modern press releases that we've seen over the last few years. It seems like every time someone brings up Shapira's manuscript, they say a couple of things. One, it was forged. It was cut from the bottom of a normal synagogue scroll, which I disprove in my Bible. He done disproves it in, uh, I mean, in my book, and then he done disproves it in his book as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then the other thing that people often quote because they're not informed of the facts is that, yeah, you know, it has a, an 11th commandment. And uh, so this, this really, I knew that I had to get this straight. But in 2013, there was an article published in the Times of Israel called In the Footsteps of a Master Forger. Well, guess who they're talking about? They're mm-hmm. talking about Moses Wilhelm Shapira. And they say uh, these words. In 1883, respected antique dealer Moses Wilhelm Shapira claimed to possess an ancient scroll of Deuteronomy. The text differed slightly from the accepted version. It has an 11th commandment. And then I go through other examples, even in the recent last week, uh, not in the New York Times article. That was a very well-written article uh, by Jennifer Schlusser. Mm. Uh, but but there was another one Mail? that appeared in mm. the Daily Mail Yep, that said that. So, But the problem is that there's not 11 commandments. We know, you know this, Jono, because you and I spent a year talking about this kind of thing. If you look at the Masoretic text of Exodus and Deuteronomy, and you you try to do the count, like wh- where where do I get number one? There are no Roman numerals in the Bible, right? So you, you, you're kind of left. This is why we have disagreements between uh, the Jewish counting, the Lutheran, the Catholic. Now, for years and years, I said, well, I mean, if it's between the Catholic and the Jewish, then clearly I'm going to go with the Jewish. But when you look at Exodus and Deuteronomy side by side, it still is uncertain how you get 10. How do you break it Mm. into 10? The unique thing about the manuscript that Shapira brought before the world is that it's very clear in this text because every commandment begins on a begins on a new line so that it's very clear that a new commandment begins on a new line and the second b the second part of that is the word you know the hebrew is called 10 words not 10 commandments at the at the close of each word is this phrase anochi elohim eloheka and and then it starts a new line. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to do on my blog now just, is just just translate for us. Just translate what what Anochi Elohim Elohecha means. Uh, Anochi, uh, in fact, in Hebrew, uh, in the Shapira scroll, there's no yud on the end. It's just mm-hmm. Anoch, Anoch Elohim Elohecha. Uh, I Anoch uh, am Elohim, your Elohim, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, people might recognize, now, wait a minute, where do we get that? Where have I heard that? Well, there are two psalms among what, uh, what scholars refer to as Eloist psalms because they, uh, they will uh, prefer to use Elohim instead of the divine name, the Tetragrammaton. You won't find, and, and a lot of times these passages have a an associated pa- uh, passage which reads exactly the same but uses the four-lettered name of God. So in Psalm 45 and Psalm 50, there are a couple of occurrences where this phrase uh, Elohim, Eloheka is used. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting things that Edan gets into, and I, I touch on it briefly in, in my work, is uh, is this idea that 
uh, in Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Leviticus 19, in what's called, what scholars refer to as the holiness code, you do have a repetition. There are 10 repetitions there that says, I am yod heh vav your Elohim. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some have proposed that the forger used Leviticus 19 as a model or a template, if you will, to construct uh, these ten words, which is it doesn't doesn't or, work out quite or as conversely, like. or conversely, Ross, because this this is the question that uh, I was I was going to ask, and we probably don't have time to to cover this in detail. But uh, Leviticus nineteen has something else in common uh, with the Shapiro document. What, what's that? Well, one of the main things I don't know if it's what you're drawing attention to, but one of the main things is is that this. Uh, this word that occurs in the 10 words in the Shapira manuscript actually quotes from Leviticus 19, um, where it says, you shall not hate your brother in that's your it. heart. That's it. And so the 10th so commandment, let me get what, this right, just yeah. for the people. So the 10th mm-hmm. commandment in the Shapira document is, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. That's number 10. And each mm-hmm. commandment finishes with anachia lochim elochecha, uh, yep. Echoing what the, the the pattern that we see in Leviticus nineteen as well. So the question would be: Is Leviticus nineteen also an attempt to recount the Ten Commandments, Ross? I think it's very possible that we have a a model that is being drawn from one or the other. Now, my proposal is that what we have in the Moses scroll, or as Edan calls it, the valediction of Moses, mm. we have the most ancient witness of those words. Now, a lot of listeners might say, wait a minute, whoa, now I'm getting a little bit nervous. Let me let me make this clear. Again, the account mentioned in Exodus 20 and the one in Deuteronomy 5 don't agree. They're not exact word for word. Now, they're close. You know, there are a lot of similarities between the two. But scholars have long noted the discrepancies or the variations between the two. Uh, A good example, the one that most of our listeners are familiar with is um, you have in one, you have that the reason for the seventh day Shabbat is because of creation, right? The Exodus account. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Deuteronomy account, you get a totally different reason. And mm-hmm. what is that? You know, it has to do with the redemption from Egypt. So, so which one of these or either of these, one of these right, the other one not? Uh, other people have proposed that there is another account uh, of the 10 words that's communicated in Exodus chapter 34, You'll recall that this in Exodus 34, after Moses comes down from the mount, he sees the children of Israel um, at the golden calf incident. Mm. He throws down the tablets and he goes back up. And then there's this interesting uh, communication from God to Moses. And he lists off various things, more of a ritualistic uh, list Mm. of things and so forth. And then it says... And he wrote these words on the tablets. So some scholars have proposed, I'm not suggesting I believe this, some scholars have proposed, ah, look, maybe this is the Ten Commandments, you know. Um, but the article gets into a lot of this, the one that's on my blog post. But I will say this too, Jono, I want to do several articles on 
uh, I, I plan to blog at least two to three times a week. I mean, people are going to have to stay up on this if they mm. want to keep up. And, and uh, it, generally, they're not that long. But I want to talk. I'm going to actually publish in the very near future. You know, of course, you can get it in the book. The book has it for you, you know, in English and in Hebrew. But one of the things that I want to do is do sort of a series of articles on the 10 words according to the Moses scroll. Mm-hmm. And and I'll publish the actual 10 words in Hebrew and English. I'll have commentary and, and I'll discuss that. So let me just say one other thing. It's not so different. In other words, excluding this one word that says, thou shalt not hate your brother in your heart, I am God your God, or I am Elohim your Elohim, Aside from that, it contains everything slightly differently worded as you will find in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're you're not going. What you will see is that the order is slightly different, which we won't go into all the details. But the order is slightly different. The wording is slightly different. And uh, I think it's fascinating. I think it's absolutely an ancient witness. In mm. fact, I believe it's the earliest. Yeah, uh, and it, and if if I wasn't convinced before when I read uh, Edan Dershowitz, it just it really sealed the case even more so. Even though I'd spent a year and a half on this, his his book really does that, and uh, so it's absolutely worth getting both. Uh, the Moses Scroll is the book. Uh, Ross Nichols, the author, the number one Amazon best-selling author. Ross Nichols, my dear friend. Um, the Moses Scroll, you can get it at Amazon. Uh, do so, dear listeners. And if you've already got a copy, leave a five-star review. We'd love to read uh, some of those. In fact, maybe next time we speak, we might um, uh, choose a couple and just read them out. Really do appreciate those, dear listeners. Uh, the MosesScroll.com is the website. Keep up with the blog posts. You can uh, join the mailing list there. And um, that's it. If we get into anything else, it's going to uh, sit, sit us down for another half hour. But I think we will leave this until next week. Thank you, my friend, for joining us. Yeah, let me let me say one more thing about the the uh, blog, the author's blog. When you go to the site now, the MosesScroll.com, uh, there'll be a bell. You can you can sign up. You can subscribe so that whenever a new blog post goes up, you'll be notified. So I highly encourage people to sign up for that because I'm going to be doing these a couple of times a week. So, hey, Jonah, thanks for having me again. Let's do this again next week. What do you think? Thanks. For, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There we go. In the meantime, dear listeners, have a great week. <laughs>